ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. We're back for speak, 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 peak, peak. We're back for the podcast. Excellent. And the team is going to be looking for new members soon. So uh, submit your applications to at Just Sherrod on Instagram. Can I apply? You can reapply, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but know that you will be judged harsher based on prior performance. Okay. I got this. I, I have some confidence. Okay. Um, 150,000 downloads. We're like a couple of listens away. Yeah, we, we've got it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we were pretty close to it or by the time this gets released and a whole bunch of people automatically download it, uh, we hit it. Yeah, that's sick. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this point. Yeah, I was talking to Sam about it the other day and we were, <clears throat> so we hit 50,000 in October 2019. Yeah, cool. Uh, which is cool. I can't find the exact date that we hit 100, but um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool indeed. There you go. 150K. So that's what Podbean says already. Yeah. Sweet. Well, Boom. thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, yes, we appreciate it. Let us know what kind of content you want to hear, what kind of guests you want to have on, and we'll do our best to satisfy the demands of our yes. people. Yes, mostly because sometimes we're really terrible at coming up with topics. But this week, we've got a topic that we carried over from last damn. week because we are professionals. Damn, damn, damn. Actually, speaking uh, of which, are we going to record anything while i am in the land of the burr the canberra 
Oh, almost certainly. I feel like it would be rude not to. Unfortunately, my sweet new office wall that you can see behind me isn't as sweet and new as I hoped it was going to be because <laughs> then I was going to make you my first official lounge guest. Oh. But um, that's not going to happen. So you're shit out of luck on that yeah. front. Uh, I'm also planning on starting a GoFundMe because getting to fucking Canberra is so expensive. It's brutal, isn't it? Yeah, dude. Getting there isn't too bad, but getting back at the moment is very uh, expensive. So, Toby, you are automatically signed on for another four years of, of coaching to, to cover this. Excellent. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward uh, to it. Unfor- unfortunately, you don't quite have the uh, the opportunity that like Stefan does, where Stefan's coming down to do meat for the comp. Yes. Uh, because he's coming down for a friend's birthday dinner the night before. And basically, this is his excuse for paying for his trip by selling meat Sounds to Sounds good to me. That's, I mean, like, that's yes. covered the cost for me anyway. Like, just yeah. the opportunity yeah. to have some, some of his meat. Are you going to pre-order some stuff and take it home with you? Uh, I might, yeah. I might. Yeah, I idea. did last time. I took it on the plane home. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm planning to do... Uh, burgers on saturday night with the offcuts from my dry age um, is, is that so, an invite yeah yeah well yes okay, <laughs> I, it was assumed I delayed <laughs> yeah i delayed doing the burgers so that you could join ah, us for burgers excellent i will be there loud and proud uh, so yeah it should be a good time is stefan gonna be there anyway for the burgers uh no because i think he's going okay. to dinner saturday night otherwise yes also i'm not sure how many off-cut burgers I've got in my bag of off-cuts. This was really a conversation, <laughs> not for the podcast. But thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, yes. Now you know our Saturday night plans. So there you go. <laughs> we'll post it on Instagram and make you jealous. It will be great. Anyway, so to, to go back to the topic that we carried over from last week, last week we talked about uh, three like common mistakes in training for sort of intermediate lifters and then the more advanced or elite lifters. And this week we wanted to do basically the same thing, but talk about it rather than from a training standpoint, from the like, what do people do wrong in the competition environment? And I think we can probably extend that to like, you know, the peaking phase Mm. that like immediate pre-comp phase as well. Cause I think that gives us a lot of uh, scope to talk about really common mistakes that people are making. Yeah. At the, that's a really good point to make. Cause at the end of the day, a lot of, performance hinges on the quality of the peak coming into that yes and so like i mean maybe that's our first point is you know mistiming the peak peaking inadequately for a comp uh when it comes to these these sort of intermediate lifters what i tend to see more and more of is people doing too much work in a peak um and uh tend to peak too late because they've done too much work in a peak you know they're two weeks out and doing you know doubles and then on the week of the comp they're still doing heavy singles you know three days out and they have a terrible meet next week they're like fuck this i'm i can't believe i didn't get my pbs i'm gonna max out in the gym and smash all their pbs it's like that you've peaked really well you've just timed it for the wrong day yeah so mistiming a peak is probably one of the biggest mistakes that uh intermediate lifters make maybe that's just because you know when you're more novice it serves you well to save the work for the peak you know yes. and to, to push that work back a little bit later um, yeah it's as you start to get more and more experience there's a bit more of an art to figuring out excuse me that timing yeah and that's that's the thing from a coaching standpoint that i've noticed is i've had some people who sometimes almost through like a mistake's the wrong word but uh, like an opportunity like hey we're doing this meet not because you have to do it to qualify or because you're trying to hit pbs but this is like our tune-up meet for the meet that we're doing later in the year which is a topic we've talked about on a few different episodes um 
that we found that like, hey, actually you can handle reasonably well like a, a relatively short peak or a, like a slightly later peak or things like that where you have the room to experiment with a little bit because I think it's really easy, certainly from a coaching standpoint, to fall into a slightly dogmatic approach to how you peak every lifter and the, especially as you become more experienced and you are exposed to a wider audience, you're just going to have different people who handle different styles of peaking and different frequencies and, and those sort of things differently. I've got a couple of people at the moment who we seem to have finally nailed out a structure that works for them where they have to basically squat and uh, like a heavy squat week and then a heavy deadlift week. And we have to kind of alternate it basically through the entirety of the training cycle mm. in order to actually see their performance go up on both. And so th- both of them have got mates in the relatively near future who aren't necessarily going to hit PB or they're not necessarily going to hit PBs at, but we've got a lot of really useful data out of mm. it. And so now it's about how do we fit that idea of like this works in a training block into the schema of like, this is how we prepare you for competition day. Like, can you really go two weeks without a heavy deadlift before you meet and maybe do okay or, or those sort of things. So having some room to experiment as you become more experienced is really useful. Um, and yeah, having being a coach and having lots of people to sort of experiment on is also useful. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, like in terms of practical advice for a lifter, then uh, it's going to be really important for you to, uh, to pay, pay attention to what happens. You know, sometimes yes. you peak well, but you just have a shit day. It falls on a day where yeah. you're not particularly strong or, um, it, you know, for whatever reason, you don't perform well on that day. That's fair enough. But pay attention to what, what you do through your peak and then when you feel the strongest. If you're feeling really strong two weeks out and then you feel like shit in the week of the comp and on the day, you've probably peaked too early. If you're feeling yeah. good on the comp day but way stronger the next week, you've probably peaked too late. Start to pay attention to when you're transitioning into your triples and doubles and singles, what that looks like, how you timed it, and then take that data and, and be able to play around with the timing of it next time, which is scary. Because like yes. you get these creature comforts of this is how I do it and I don't want to change it because even though I didn't perform well, I still did okay, you know? It's like we don't want an okay performance. We want the absolute best performance and part of this game is going to be working out the best way to to be able to do that, like John was just saying. Yeah, that's <clears throat> one of the most interesting things I've taken out of listening to and reading a lot of the stuff from the reactive training systems team about their emerging strategies concept Mm. is that idea of time to peak Mm. uh, and that that can then influence like frequency and uh, block length and all of those sort of things where you can actually have a lifter who, you know, does really well with four exposures to the squat before they're at their heaviest two exposures of of deadlifting and like six of benching. And then how do you put those factors together to ensure that they've done enough bench sessions, enough squatting sessions, and just the right amount of deadlifting sessions so that by the time you get to that comp day, they're ready to go. Uh, And that, I think the way they explore that as an idea is really interesting. Mm. I haven't quite got it to a point where I'm happy with like the complete implementation of it but as a concept I find it really interesting yeah the the difficulty with the with the application of the concept is always going to be like separating peak strength from peak performance in a given phase or in a given like yeah sure maybe it took you six weeks and this number of exposures to hit your peak performance on a set of five is that still applicable to a single and I'm I'm sure in fact I know that there's resources and education out there on how to manage for those factors but uh, like just like anything 
you know, you hear about reactive, uh, you hear about emerging strategies, you get secondhand information, you stop looking at the the um, original source, make sure if you're playing around with that stuff, pay a lot of attention to the RTS and, yeah, yeah. and like T stuff for sure. Yeah, and like they have a classrooms thing on it. It's like an online course. It's really good. I've done that. Uh, it was really interesting. Mm, yeah, sweet. Um, the next point I was got the next yeah point. the next point I was going to make is that um, you know one thing I see a lot of people uh, still in even you know moderate to intermediate sort of lifters really putting a lot of stock into break, breaking personal bests. Um, not being able to shift from the mindset of this is about me uh, to the mindset of like this is about me versus all of these other people switching to competition mindset where uh, yeah your total is is the paramount thing but it's your total compared to other totals and sometimes that means sacrificing pbs for the sake of having a total that's going to give you a place to i mean we've both seen it plenty of times where someone's gone for a lift that they thought they were going to get and it was a pb when they could have taken a safer route and then been knocked down two or three places. It's yeah. always so painful. Or like completely well. out of contention. Yeah. Like they've just put themselves from being drastically in the lead to mm. like, oh, you didn't even finish, yep. you know? Because like, they got We've greedy. seen people bomb. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's, it's really common. I think for some people, it stems from a not recognizing that they have transitioned from what I would refer to as a recreational powerlifter mm -hmm. into a competitive powerlifter. So, like, you know, the the person that's done five or six of our novice comps and is, you know, deciding to do their first or second sanctioned comp is looking at a weight class that's eight people deep and probably is going to come seventh or eighth. Maybe it's not of a big... Uh, as big a concern to them but understanding that that's a factor that can become really relevant especially as you continue to progress up the levels of competitiveness mm. is um yeah really important and and easy to overlook if you're not prepared for it yeah for sure for sure um i think that sort of covers that point yeah, yeah. there's there's not much more to say it's like yeah um exactly uh, the other thing that I had, and um, <laughs> I don't know if, how much of this is influenced by Instagram or, or what, uh, but too much hype and too much caffeine, too much pre-workout, like just getting, going ballistic, you know, it's an, a fucking exciting day, adrenaline is pumping, you're hyped up, you are super keen to lift. Um, remember, adrenaline, caffeine, these all impact energy systems, these all impact how on you are, and the more on you are, the more off you're going to be by the end of the day. Yeah, and I think that's the often the skill that separates the intermediate lifter from a really elite 100%. lifter is that, and we've talked about this in a few different factors before, but it's that ability to manage your level of arousal across what can very often be a very long day. Mm. You know, gone are the days I think in in most places in Australia of the twelve hour powerlifting meet that finishes at ten p.m. We're all just a bit better at running mm. meets than that. Um, for the most part, at least the people I like hanging out with. Um, and so that negates some of that, like, hey, I've been lifting nonstop for 12 hours and I'm just actually fucking wrecked. Mm. Uh, but I know I made that mistake for the first several years of my powerlifting career. Um, and it's a mistake that I probably shouldn't have made because I've come from rugby where I know that like, if you get really fucking amped up in the first 10 minutes, you're cooked mm. for the rest of the game and managing your energy levels in an intermittent sport like rugby over 80 minutes is a different ball game altogether. Mm. But it's the same concept. It's that managing your emotional investment and energy and therefore output across that time is is important. And I know for some people that means 
like putting the headphones down and turning the music off and like, you know, being a little bit connected with what's going on as opposed to being in your own little zone. Mm -hmm. I think for me, going back to a powerlifting meet now, I'd probably actually spend most of the day with headphones on, but it wouldn't be pumping metal music all day. It would actually be for me because I enjoy the meditative process of being attached to like where I am and what I'm doing and ignoring everything else that's going on which is part of the reason I don't think I'll compete at my gym again because I find that really hard in that aspect. Yep. Uh, so I don't enjoy the experience. But the amount of people I've seen, both novice and more advanced, come into a gym and they arrive for their meet at fucking 8.30 with headphones on and you don't see them take those headphones off for more than 10 seconds and you can hear the music pounding out of it every time you walk past them. That's when you're running into just energy leak issues where by the end of the day you've got nothing left and you can't possibly get up for a third deadlift because you've spent it all on missed attempts and shitty choices exactly it's 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 about recognizing what the triggers are for you to get in the zone and kind of avoiding those things like uh, yeah which is why i didn't want to say the blanket statement of you know don't listen to music all day because exactly what you said some people are so overwhelmed and uh energized by the social aspect of a comp that it drains them or put a lot of their own energy into other lifters you know by hyping them up or by you know coaching or handling them sometimes it pays to you know be able to disconnect from what's around you and just disappear into that sort of calm zoned out sort of state Um, but it is an absolute skill set to uh, switch on and switch on off when you need to and it's it's something that just takes time and experience it's hard to teach yep. and like, like you said most comps are better like i've got an interesting situation coming up with gpc states in uh in queensland here uh both days are four flights and then doing it in one session so rather than two two Oof. sets of two it's four flights on on both days so you know a lifter in flight a is gonna potentially have two hours between you know i'd fucking go home and have yeah a between the lifts and so then you're then you're really then managing okay well you normally take two scoops pre-workout before you you lift if you do that before you first lift and then again your second and then you, again your your deadlift you know you're gonna be fucked uh, it's going to, yeah. you know, so learning to manage the circumstances that you face with having a, a good idea of the landscape of the con- competition is going to be uh, important to make sure that you're not too on for the whole day. Um, and as a meet director, that's one of the reasons I, I would preference, especially for like a GPC comp, I would preference smaller flights done as like two flight sessions rather mm-hmm. than a, a four flight day. But that's a, a meet individual meet director yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. I think some people really like having seven hours between lifts as a lifter. I'm like, fuck that, get it over and done yeah. with in three hours and let me go home. Yeah, I really prefer to get, like, take my knee wraps on and off and jump straight on a bench. I'm the same. Yeah, me too. Uh, Maybe a couple of minutes to go to the toilet and eat something, but beyond that, <laughs> I just want to get it done. For sure. Well, that, that kind of covers it for the intermediate side of things. As we kind of head into uh, advance, the first thing that came to my mind uh, was when lifters are faced uh without you know impending competition uh ego can sometimes take over and i I can think of several lifters who are phenomenally strong and way ahead of any competition that they would have had on the day that have bombed because they've gone in with too big an ego not responded to uh, the conditions they're squatting high and they don't change their opener to accommodate it or whatever um throw away a competition or just perform like shit because they're they're the man or the the woman you know and they they just have to put up the biggest number possible it's like yeah it's not 
not quite how it works. No, and I think that ties nicely into the discussion we had in last week's episode about not respecting the data. Mm -hmm. And I think that ego trap is really easy to fall into as you become more experienced because you get to a point where you're like, well, I should be able to open with this weight. Like, this is my opening squat. Mm -hmm. And then, like, like you said, it's just not there on the day. You're not feeling good. Like, not having the the announce to actually just fucking drop your opener and that like level of self-respect in your in understanding that no one gives a shit about your opener and like no one who thinks you're an instagram hero is suddenly like oh we'll fucking unfollow that prick because he didn't open heavy enough uh instead it's about understanding not just the data you've had in training and and its role in uh informing your competition in performance but also the data you get on the day mm being able to recognize that, hey, you have woken up and it's not there today or it's even it's not there in one lift, mm. you know, that, and that's the nature of elite performance in any aspect of life, but especially in something like powerlifting where there's so much that you have to sort of come together on one day for it to be the perfect day. Someone like Crozier has got to have everything fall into place on the competition day for him to hit a PB total mm. and, you know, three PBs uh, because it, it's such a game of inches when it comes to those those levels of performance mm. and so not respecting the data is another opportunity for you to then just shit the bed completely because you've taken what could have been a you know a moderate performance because you'd had not the day you wanted and, and you'd adjust your numbers and your expectations accordingly and you turn it into a really shitty performance or even worse you bomb or mm. something like that that's when you're actually going to take a way bigger ego hit than the ego hit of like, hey, I'm just going to drop my openers a little bit because I'm not feeling it today. Yeah, for sure. And like I, I know that this is not a point that is unique to advanced lifters. Like intermediate lifters are going nah. um, to make this mistake as well. But I think two things. A, intermediate lifters are going to be more likely to be like, oh, fuck, that didn't feel good. Maybe I should drop my opener and then actually do it or get their, their coach to do it. And B, ego uh intermediate lifters have more of an excuse like if you're if you're an yes. advanced if you're an experienced power lifter and you're like oh i can hit you know 350 any day of the week i can keep that as my opener and you don't listen to the fact that you're performing like shit warming up that's 100 on you that's that's your yes. you've got every you have no excuse to to not make that change yeah exactly um another point that i had that i'd kind of thought of is uh and i see this relatively uh common and i don't know if it's because people just are good at the sport and not aware of how the sport works or um, if I see it more because I get more experience with this because I do a lot of coaching, but not utilizing strategy, not playing around with uh, the the mental aspect of powerlifting, not getting in people's heads, not making sneaky attempt changes, not making sneaky opener changes, not hazing people. Like it, it, it's, it's fun and it's, it's funny, but it, like it can be an important thing in terms of like, you know, strategizing uh, the best total possible. And this, again, similar to the intermediate problem of, you know, PBs versus uh, just lifting, you know, forget the PBs aspect for a moment, but also this is going to creep for the advanced lifters into just attempt selection in general, knowing when you can, can and should be riskier and knowing when you should hold back based on the competition. So knowing your competition, keeping abreast of what's happening during the day and using strategy where it matters. Yeah, and I I think some people potentially look at this as like an honor thing. Like, oh, I don't want to be sneaky. I don't, like that. 
is one of my favorite parts as a coach is like putting a sneaky opener in that like oh this guy's gonna go to it from 200 to 400 we all know that's not gonna happen what's he actually gonna go and just that shit talk and banter i love it's one of my favorite parts about sport in general i watched a part two of a celtics lakers documentary called uh celtics and lakers like the best of enemies or something about the 84 grand final with like Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, all of those guys. And just listening to the trash talk and like these pivotal moments that hinge on a little bit of cheeky talk here, there and there in between plays. And, you know, I'm not saying let your competitor go up on the platform and shout abuse at him as he goes up. But like, if I'm in the same warm up room as you, despite the fact that you're going to beat me nine times out of 10 and the 10th time it's because I kneecapped you out the back. Um, I'm still going to give you shit and I'm still going to be in your ear about it just because I find it funny and I think it's amusing. And I've watched you have to walk away from me before because I have got in your head. I enjoy that. And that there's a fine line between being a good sport and, you know, being in on the joke and having a bit of fun and being a cunt. Um, But I think there's a lot to be gained from understanding how the psyche of sport like that works. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is potentially a lot of people in powerlifting haven't had a ton of athletic experience outside of powerlifting. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up playing rugby, which is all about shit talk. You spend 80 minutes harassing (laughs) the other person so that you can beat them. And I know that that plays a significant role. And so I enjoy that Mm -hmm. in other aspects. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, knowing the rules, knowing how to manipulate things in your favor is uh, a chip that's worth playing when For it matters. Sure. Like I, I cannot count on my hand the number of times uh, that you know I've had a lifter that was confident in their third attempt, uh, the person that was either one place in front of them um, or uh, yeah, the person that's one place in front of them or a couple of places in front of them fucks up a deadlift. So we drop the attempt to be 2.5 heavier than the person's total, knowing that it's going to be easy as piss. Like, why wouldn't you do that? I remember someone got yeah, really exactly. salty about it and uh, when I did it to them and brought it up several times over like the years. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we won. We beat you. That's the whole fucking point of a competition. If It's not yeah. like you drop your deadlift. So we're like, oh, out of respect, we're going <laughs> to de-submit gonna our- yeah, We're going to We're going to yeah. let you have this because like <laughs> you deserve this. No, fuck that. Yeah. I'm going to do the absolute least amount of work possible to ensure the highest placing possible. Yeah, because ultimately we both got into powerlifting to be incredibly lazy. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, not quite. We've got one more uh, point. Dewey, what's your last point? I don't. I didn't write any of these points down, so you're in charge. Oh, okay. Does that mean we're making one up? <laughs> Hundred fifty thousand downloads later, and we're still professional as fuck. <laughs> I don't know about the. I think the 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 last one probably is ties into the uh, the point that I think we made in the training aspect of understanding the bigger picture mm-hmm. in terms of competition and understanding how each competition fits into your yearly or bi yearly or quadrennial plan and understanding that as a more advanced lifter, you have to line all your chips up on the right day for it to happen properly. And so if you can respect that as a concept, then you can start to reverse engineer your success by understanding that, hey, two years from now, I want to hit this number. Mm. What do I need to do and how do I need to build that process in terms of peaks and deloads and training cycles in a way that gives me the best possible opportunity to get to that point? Mm. Because it's really easy as you get 
better at things to to have more predictable training results and expect it to just continue to roll like that like oh yeah well i'm you know i'm adding like two percent to my total every time so i can just do that twice a year and add four percent and just continue to build on that but actually the the better you get at the sport the harder it is to make progress Mm. the harder it is to find those marginal gains and so you need to then respect the cyclical approach to like okay well this is my tune-up meet this is my like okay set the stage and six months after that we've got the one that matters Mm. uh and i think some of that stems from the the yearly cycle that powerlifting falls into of like having a season where people do states and then nationals and in the past it was then like something like pro raw uh and so that sort of conducive to getting trapped in that cycle a little bit and just not recognizing that actually you could have a really productive year if what you did was no training at all like no competitions at all and you just focused on improving your base level and then being able to push that peak up again i think that is something that again probably separates the people that never make it out of intermediate into the people that are advanced and elite lifters yeah it's it's a hard pill to swallow as well like you you get far less opportunities to uh see progress like because you're peaking less now and if for whatever reason the comp doesn't go to plan you know you miss miss something on a technicality or you're feeling shit that day or whatever you know maybe maybe you've saved the last 18 months for uh you know building and then on the week of the comp you get sick and you can't showcase what you've built it it can be it can be a real kick in the guts to have that happen and for the progress to not be linear in terms of um you know comp to comp to comp but for the progress to be more linear when you take a step back and look at the average over time um that's that's a fast track to be disappointed to be upset to be frustrated and and walk away from the sport It's, it's just that recognition that everything slows down and takes a little bit longer. So I think that's a perfect point to finish on. Because you have to go. Uh, look, that's, yeah. Like I, yeah. <laughs> See you all next time. Excellent. <laughs> Goodbye. Sweet. <laughs>